Now get my blood pressure down from being nervous. We are in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8 this morning. A um, couple of quick announcements. Sometimes we have so much stuff that we're trying to announce. And I don't want to miss that this Wednesday is our quarterly business meeting. And encourage encourage you guys to come. Uh, it gives us a chance as a church family to be able to communicate to one another what God is doing through the life of the church. Because sometimes we just don't know. And there's a lot of... Uh, encouraging things going on among us. So I encourage you to come. That's 7 o'clock Wednesday and be a part of that and and just hear the different things God's doing among his people here. And secondly, uh, this just hit me. I didn't really plan this. But the first part of May, as Thomas said, we plan on having a time, we call it revival, which revival is not for those out there. It's for those of us in here. That God will wake us up. That God will remind us how much He loves us and, and how blessed we are and, 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 you know, what, what it's about just to, to be here and, uh, encourage you to be praying for that. And, and, and this just kind of hit me as I was sitting there. I was thinking about it. I, I wanted to ask each of you and myself included sometime between now and then to fast and ask God for revival. But let me take a minute as I say fast. Because sometimes the thing that comes to mind immediately is, I'm going to miss food. That's a fast, but that's not all that a fast is. You see, it's not just, God's really going to hear me now because, man, my stomach, you can hear it for a block. Because I haven't eaten in a long time. But that's really not the point at all. Here's the point. Uh, If it's food and you go without a meal, when you start to feel a little bit of hunger pains... It suddenly makes you stop and hopefully think, God, I need to think about you. And it's a time to call you to prayer as there's that little inconvenience or, or, or there's that hunger pain. But it doesn't just have to be food. It may be something that's precious to you, but you want to take that time that you normally set aside to do that which you, you love to do. Um, I mean, it could be anything. It could be a... Uh, a hobby or a TV show. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that's bad. The whole point of it is I want to take that time that's normally set aside for something I so love to say, God, I love you more. And to take that time to pray and just to ask God to to stir us up because, man, all of us, myself included, can just so easily just get so blah. And we are far too blessed to live in the blahs. And so my prayer is... That is, uh, Dale and Gilda come and share their hearts with us. It'll be God's heart. And that he'll stir us up. So I just encourage you, be thinking about that. Something between, they got a month. Maybe it is a day of fasting. Maybe it's a meal of fasting, food. Maybe it's something else. But think about that. All right, let's get to our message. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. And the message this morning has to do with thoughts of a renewed mind. Encourage you to, sorry, this is our custom, stand in God's honor as I read aloud from the scriptures. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same function. 
So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Let's pray. Master, we come to you once again, God. We're humbled by the very fact, Father, that you've chosen to love us, Lord. To pour out your grace so freely to us, God. And Father, you don't want only our bodies as we looked at last time in our study in Romans. You also want our minds, Father, our thoughts to be of you. And I just pray that as we look at your word this morning, God speak to us. Father, I might say something, but only the Holy Spirit can speak to the heart. And so we just invite you to speak. Father, um, just show us you love us. Show us your heart, God, as we look at your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, as we mentioned, the first 11 chapters of Romans talked about doctrine or talked about belief or set a groundwork of God's mighty truths. But then we come to chapter 12. From chapter 12 through the end of this book, chapter 16, we move more from that vertical view to horizontal view. We move from doctrine to duty. We move from belief to behavior. We move to how does this shake out in our daily lives in the way that we relate to one another when we love God and we serve him. And he starts out in this transition and he said, offer your bodies to God. And he says, I urge you in view of God's mercy to do this, to be a, a living sacrifice. And then you'll be able to test and, and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, his, his perfect will. But. Now we come to this next section, and he moves from offering our bodies to him to offering our minds. And, and he starts out uh, with a negative word where he says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But he says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That there is a call to get a new mind, to have transformed thinking, to think differently. We are barraged in this world by fame, fortune, influence, pleasure. And, and, and the world culture turns fortune into greed. And fame becomes a means to abuse others. And pleasures become nothing more than sensual pursuits. And, and God says, I want there to be a change of the way you think. And when I get a hold of your heart, I, I want to change that area. Listen to uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Is there is a description in the text here about our thinking. For though we live in the world, and we, we have to live here, this is where we are, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with 
are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And the idea here of strongholds are past ways of thinking that are so ingrained they have become a habit in the way we approach life, in in our thinking patterns. And he goes on and he says that those need to be demolished. He says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And, and, and so the picture here is there's a change in the thinking. A, a change away from this world system to God's way of thinking. As he gets a hold of our minds. As, as he gets a hold of, of our thoughts and turns them his direction. Listen to how the message of paraphrase renders this. The world is unprincipled. It's a dog-eat-dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. Now, in this section of Scripture, where there's a, a lot to cover, we're going to look at three different areas here. In verse 3, the thinking about self needs to change. In verses 4 and 5, the thinking about the saints or God's people needs to change. And then in verses 6 through 8, Service or our spiritual gifts that are given to us to serve Christ and to serve one another for his pleasure are discussed. And all these trains of thought are addressed. Let's look at verse 3 to begin with and look at the thoughts about self. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Paul begins here and he says, hey, I want to start this out by saying this is about grace. The grace he gave. And it's always about the grace he gives us. But then he, he, he talks about that thought, that, that manner of thinking toward yourself. He says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Uh, there's a prefix there talks that we get our word hyper from. Or you could even go as far as a, another correlation would be super. So he says, don't hyper think about yourself. Don't super think about yourself. Don't become so totally consumed that all you think about is, is yourself. So he urges us to get beyond that. And, and uh, you know people who, who are, man, their favorite subject is self. and Their favorite name is their own name. They can talk to you all day about their accomplishments, about the degrees they've earned, or how brilliant they are, or how much money they make, or how strong they are, or how well-traveled they are, or how gifted or sophisticated they are, or, 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 you know, or how good-looking they are. He says, don't, don't spend your time thinking so much about yourself. Don't, 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 don't be hyped up about 
thinking about you all the time. And it's so easy in this culture, we play that impress me game. Now you go to a meeting, you hear people start talking about what they're doing and who they are, and you think, well, I don't want them to think that I'm, I'm nothing, so I've, I've got to come up with something to share that you know, makes me look good. You know, even preachers play this game. I, I remember a few years ago going to Southern Baptist Convention and I ran into a bunch of guys and here comes the game, you know. Everybody talks about all the great things they're doing. I thought, oh dear, you can fall into that. Matter of fact, I heard about one guy. He was in a group of preachers. and They were talking about their churches and how great things were going and how big their churches were. And the guy said, how big's your church? He said, it's between four and 5,000. He goes, wow, man, God's really working in your place. His buddy pulled him aside, you know, once things quieted down. He said, I thought you told me there's 75 people going to your church. He said, yep, that's between four and 5,000. Sometimes we kind of get caught in that game of impressing one another. But the truth of the matter is, the one that counts is God. My job is, is to love you and to care about you. But I don't need to try to elevate myself to impress you. That's not the goal. Maybe you've heard this poem. Sometimes when you're feeling important, sometimes when your ego's way up, sometimes when you take it for granted that you're the prize-winning pup, sometimes when you feel that your absence would leave an unfillable hole, just follow these simple instructions and see how it humbles your soul. Take a bucket, fill it with water, Put your wrist in it up to your, put your hand in it up to your wrist. Now pull it out fast and the hole that remains is the measure of how you'll be missed. You may splash all you wish as you enter and stir up the water galore, but stop and you'll find in a minute it's back where it was before. (laughs) Hey, God loves us and we're precious to Him, but the truth of the matter is, Jesus is the only one that's irreplaceable. And it's easy to get caught up in a game of thinking about ourselves more than we should. We can even get caught up in in self-pity of, you know, and and that's not the point either. I'm just a worm. I'm just a worm. You know, as Isaac Watts said, if you're going to be a worm, be a glow worm. Shine for Jesus. Glow for for Christ. And and, and that's the next part of this in verse 3. He says, Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Hey, know your gifts. Know your talents. Know how God can use you. Not to brag about that, but just to humbly serve Him that way. Don't just have an accurate assessment of, of how, he's, how He's gifted you and how He wants to use you. Don't think about yourself all the time, but be prepared to serve with, with that kind of a heart. All right, uh, let, let's move on here. Next, the body of Christ or the saints is described. Uh, Look here in our text, he says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Let me stop there. Uh, He starts out here, he says, uh, hey, you know, your body has uh, different members or different parts, and they don't all do the same thing, but they're all vital. Some you can see, you know, like parts of the face or, you know, the hands and, and, and you know, the feet. Or, or like what Oscar Thompson, you say, you know, you can dream to be a different part of the body and say, uh, 
God, I don't want to be a toe. I don't want to be a toe. I, I, want, to, I want to be a hand or I want to be an eye. And he said, fine. He said, uh, you're going to be a toe. And he says, uh, but whether you like it or not, it may be the only thing you see is the inside of a sock. Uh, and how, how, he's, how he's put us together. The, 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 the point is, though, it all matters. Without the toes, without the feet, we couldn't stand. Without the feet, we wouldn't be walking. It all works together. And some of the most valuable parts are the parts you never see. And you got some organs in here. You don't see them, but if they stop working, you got some problems. And so the body of Christ works together in a beautiful way. And, and, and as you look at these three verses, there's unity. We're called to work together. Although we're different, God works through us and in our differences to be able to accomplish His goal and His will. The differences are used for His glory. And there's diversity. Um, not only unity, we work together, but the diversity is we're not all carbon copies. And then thirdly, there's mutuality, um, that we're all after the same truth, following the same Lord, the same Savior. We care for each other. And he says here that each member belongs to all the others. There's mutuality. Hey, we belong to one another. We're together in this thing. And you know, when one part of the body of Christ hurts, we all hurt. Just get a pebble in your shoe or a splinter in your finger. And what happens? That's all you can think about, you know, getting that out when one part hurts or work together. Uh, turn me to Philippians chapter two here uh, briefly. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Hey, you know, be together. Be together, guys. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, as we said previously, not to think about yourself, but part of God's church part of his body working together for the same purpose of christ and 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 letting him work guys and we are not to be independent we're not to be dependent we're to be interdependent we need each other for the cause of christ and and uh, we need to guard against putting any person on a pedestal because we're all doing this together we all need each other and follow christ and then the last area here deals with service or spiritual gifts and let's look at it briefly here he says we have different gifts. Once again, grace is mentioned according to the grace given us. And there are uh, three different scriptures besides uh, Romans 12. There's Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11 that also speaks about spiritual gifts. I just want to briefly go through these um, in the rest of our message. First, he talks about here... Um, Prophecy. And he says to use it in proportion to his faith. Of course, as we think about prophecy, we think of one who God uses as his mouthpiece to speak. And in the Old Testament, he would speak his word and he would foretell what was going to happen in the future. And then in the New Testament, as we see God working, as we have his scriptures and his work, he gives some people to be able to, to, to speak his truth with a passion and uh, plainly, 
um, with with power and, and it's a gift to, to be able to to communicate his truth in a way that's applicable today to touch hearts. And, and that's what he does through prophecy. And, and then secondly, look at this next one here. It says service. If it is serving, let him serve. Uh, the people who are servants don't want a lot of attention. They kind of like to hide in the background to get the work done. Precious people that you can count on. They don't require a, a lot of attention. They don't really want a lot of attention. They do it for God. It's their gift. It brings them joy. I heard a great story of D.L. Moody, who is an evangelist of another generation. And uh, there was some preachers from Europe that came over here to a conference in Chicago. And in the place where they were staying, uh, the traditions there in Europe were that when you stayed in a uh, an inn or a motel, hotel, that you would put your shoes outside and someone would shine your shoes uh, they had a person who worked in the halls would shine your shoes. Well, they didn't do that in America. And so all these guys came here and put their shoes outside their doors expecting them to be shined. And uh, D.L. Moody, he, he tried to get some other minister students to shine the shoes, but nobody seemed to want to shine the shoes. That didn't seem, you know, real powerful in God. So he stayed up all night shining shoes. And a guy happened to walk in and see him shine the shoes is how... We all even know about this probably. And, uh, and so then he put the shoes uh, back at their doors and then was able to do the conference. And people started hearing, that, hey, they don't do this tradition in America. So who shined their shoes? And they didn't really know who shined the shoes. <laughs> they just know that people started volunteering to shine shoes. They'd come over here from Europe. There's power in a servant. It says in Mark ten forty five. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. All right, let's move on here. Next is teaching. He says, if it's teaching, let him teach. The teacher has this incredible gift to communicate truths clearly. You know, we look at it and say, man, how did I miss that? Where did that come from? But the teacher just goes, wham, and you're like, wow. I remember Cindy telling me she did a Beth Moore study years ago with some other ladies, and it had to do with the, the Old Testament priestly system. And, you know, there are things you read there in the Old Testament, you're like, what is that? And, and Beth's pulling out this stuff, and it's like, wow, wow, what's that gift of, of teaching? And what's really cool a lot of times is teachers are mentors to people, and they will just invest their lives in people and make a difference. Okay, and next is encouragement or exhortation. Uh, if it is encouraging, let him encourage uh, this is an ability to be able to drive home action. Um, these are people, man, when you're around them, you feel like you've known them your whole life or they've known you their whole lives. And there's just this kind of connection. And and uh, a lot of times preachers have this gifted. But it's not always, he's stepping on my toes, he's stepping on my toes, and he's grinding the hill in me. Hey, get them, you know, make them feel bad. <laughs> you know, sometimes when God's word is being preached and, and there's an encouragement, it's, it's I got to do the right thing. But other times, it's the opposite of that. It's, it, it's an encouragement that, that comes alongside and comforts. And, and, and it's that feeling of, man, that person cares about me and, and loves me. And there's an exhortation. Let's get through this thing together. And, and let's move together. And then there's giving. Notice what he says here about giving. He says, uh, the one who contributes to the needs of others, let him give generously. Let him be a generous giver. And uh, I've always been amazed. I've known a few of those people. And, and uh, it's just amazing to me. 
just the generosity that they have to give. It's a blessing to, the, to God's people. And then he ends with showing mercy. <laughs> and he says to the one that shows mercy, he, he says, do it cheerfully. Do it cheerfully. Um, this is an ability to, to sense those who are hurting and to know what to say or not to say. Know what to do and not to do. Um, and it's often not a lot of words. Joe Bailey, who wrote a book uh, called A View from the Hearse years ago, he and his wife, three of their children died. First died at 18 days after surgery with an unexpected health issue. Second uh, child died at five years old from leukemia. And their third child died at 18 years of age in a sledding accident um, where she bled to death. And Joe tells a story of, uh, and they had a lot of times, he and his wife, of crying and grieving and not knowing if they're going to survive or not. And I just want to read, these are words from his book. He said, uh, I was sitting torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings of why it happened. Of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. I was not moved except to wish he'd go away. He finally did. Another came and sat beside me. He just sat beside me for an hour, maybe more. Listened when I said something. Answered briefly. Prayed simply. And left. (laughs) I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. Mercy. The gift of mercy. Okay, uh, as I close this thing up, um, when our minds are transformed, key is to ask God, what do you want me? Help me see through your eyes. Help me to have your heart, God. Help me to be aware of, of you, God, where you're working, what's what's going on. Because I'm, I'm just too small and, and just not capable enough to get the full picture. And so, God, guide my thoughts. God, help help me to, to, to see clearly and, and to see what others fail to see, God, that you may do that work in me. Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, Whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a chance to spend a little time looking at your word, God. To challenge our thought patterns, the way we're thinking, Lord. Father, sometimes we think about ourselves, but do we hyper-think about ourselves, Lord? Help us to get the, that right assessment of, of ourselves, God, for your glory. And Father, how do we think about your church, Lord? We're all significant. There's no wasted parts in the body of Christ. Everybody counts. The whole body matters. So, Father, where do we all fit? Help us to discover that. And, and Father, to work for your glory. Because, Father, there's a joy that comes when, when your people serve together and, 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 and find that place to fit. And, and God, you're honored and glorified through it. And, and then, Father, um, 
lastly, specifically with that, Lord, help us to know our gift. Help us to know where we're to serve. God, just do that work. We love you. We need you. Um, Father, we have an altar that's open. May people come if, if you bring them to pray. Father, if something needs to be said to your people, Father, give us courage to say that. Um, Father, if there's something uh, where people just need to pray with somebody, Lord, I'll be at the front. Father, we just need to make commitments to you that your spirit prompts us to do. And so I pray you give us the courage to say yes to how you may be speaking to us, Lord, that you may be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.